As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Life is made up of many gorgeous moments. Cherish them all, big and small, with Blue Nile. Whether it's for yourself or a loved one, Blue Nile's unrivaled selection of expertly crafted fine jewelry and statement pieces help make all your moments sparkle. Blue Nile's experts are on hand to guide you, and their diamond guarantee ensures you get the highest quality at the best price. Celebrate a life well-lived in the most radiant way and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. They did this show with the Playing for Change Foundation. It was a benefit for Playing for Change, so I went. So coming out of this with this human rights background and, you know, that those interests and then it's music... I went to that event and it wasn't packed or anything, but it was the idea of, you know, melding the music with the initiative and the Playing for Change Foundation basically funds music and education programs in different parts of the world. And I was like, I could do this. Like, how do I get into this? You know, and in that time, the reason I went also is because I was covering it. I had started this blog while I was in the midst of, well, I'm out of grad school. I started this nonprofit. It didn't work out. I didn't go off and join the State Department and or, you know, train to become a diplomat like the rest of my peers in grad school or work for an NGO or whatever. I went off on my own again. It didn't work out. Music was my fallback. I started this blog called Inity Weekly. And um, I just started writing about the connection with music and in particular reggae music and like the socially conscious and political aspect of it. And so that's what brought me to the show, The Midnight Show. That was the voice of Chris Jazorski. Chris is a great friend of mine. And I really love her story. She's such a great storyteller because she she knows how to keep things in focus while taking you down different journeys and in this episode you learn a lot about her journey to self how she found music which is a true passion and how she uses music as a form of diplomacy in between she also drops tips that many of us need because many of us are at that point in our life where we feel that maybe what we're doing right now isn't what we're supposed to be doing And it's very important that when you become aware of that, that you take a step towards going towards the place that really causes your heart to beat. All right. I know you're going to enjoy the episode. Please feel free to engage with her brand. We're going to put that in the show notes as well. Speaking of engagement, I, as you know, in the last episode said I'm putting on my first virtual series of spoken word events. They will be happening on March 26th. And March 27th. The links for that will be in the show notes. 
What it is is an intimate event where I get to share what it was like growing up black on four continents in the form of poems. And I might share some short stories. There'll be opportunities for Q and A's. But I talk about what it was like growing up black on four continents, as well as navigating the world of change, how I grappled with my identity and found myself, how I found my purpose, and how many people can use their differences to make a difference. I hope you check it out. I hope you bring friends. And I hope you will sign up so much that I can create more events in the future. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Really, really, really excited about this, though. The links for everything that I'm talking about will be in the show notes. Enjoy the episode. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of As Told by Nomads. Today's guest is Christy Jizorski. Now, Christy is a music industry professional with over 40 concerts and festivals under her belt as an independent producer and promoter. She's also a consultant and strategist for artists in the global roots music scene, reggae, jazz, Afrobeat, folktronica, music of Latin America. We're going to get into all this. And as well as someone who comes from a multicultural background, we'll dive into what those two cultures are, why she loves traveling, and how she's dealing with the pandemic. Over the last decade, Chris has lived and studied in Los Angeles, South Africa, Belize, Denver, and Palm Springs. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. The pleasure is mine. So you made it sound like really like, wow. <laughs> you know, it, it's it's always interesting when you hear someone read your bio, because I think we have a tendency to undersell ourselves. But what you've accomplished, and even in the time I've known you, we're approaching, it's going to be, what, nine months now, maybe, that I've known you, maybe a little bit mm -hmm. around there. Yeah, something like that hearing your story has been fascinating for me because I have a lot of listeners who come, you know, to me with different messages and they're always about purpose, identity, and figuring out what it is that they want to do. So I want to start there with you. When you were a little kid, who did you think you would be? And where are you so far in that journey now? When I was a kid? Yeah. Oh, gosh. <laughs> I thought at a very young age, I was going to be a champion for change. And yeah, I didn't know how. Um, I, but when I, when I started showing my interest, um, I would say in civil rights to begin with, it was something that I remember my dad really nurtured that and taught me more about, um, taught me more than what was being taught at school. Yeah. Um, and then on the other side of things, because my parents were divorced, but um, on the other side of things with my mom, it was more like, oh, you know, I think I just said one time that I was going to be a lawyer. And <laughs> I've said I was going to be a lot of things, but that was one that stuck out to her. It's like a doctor or lawyer. They had really high hopes for me. <laughs> yeah. and, um, and so that was like the path that I kind of stayed on you know, thinking that that was the way that I was going to be able to create change. So I just remember being that person. I just knew I was going to just be like a, an activist or a lawyer or whatever it was just to, like I said, create change. <laughs> just to fight for change. And Jazorski, your dad's Polish, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. And your mom's Filipina? Mm-hmm. How did you 
you know, get in touch with those cultures? Were, were, were those two cultures prominent growing up? Um, I would say the most prominent definitely um, is my Filipino culture because I was raised um, around my mom's family more than my dad's family. Mm. Um, so I knew I was Polish and I wasn't really exposed to it as a culture. My dad's very American, mm. you know, it's, it's one of those things. And, um, you know, you're born in America, you're American. That's what, was what he would always say. And I didn't know so much about the Polish culture. And then like when he would tell me, you know, what he would call his grandmother and certain traditions, I'm like, oh, that's your busha. Like, I didn't know about any of that, you know, like, mm. um, and then I do remember um, my grandmother's funeral, actually, I was 19 when she passed, like at the, uh, I guess it's the wake. It's been a long time since I've been to a funeral, thank goodness. Um, <laughs> I went to a wake and then the food was Polish food. And I was like, I've never been exposed to this. I'm used to Filipino everything as far as that being my culture. So yeah. I don't know if I answered the question. Did I answer the question? You did. You did. I, <laughs> okay. I, 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 I go <laughs> off on tangents. I just want to let you know. So I'll do my best to bring myself back. Tangents are, <laughs> tangents are my favorite on the podcast because they, oh, uh, gosh. they yeah, because I think they bring insight into that and, and we're going somewhere. Trust me. The reason I'm okay. asking you, the reason I'm asking you about this is identity, especially in the last year and the last few years is, is this fluid concept. Now for you, you find yourself at the forefront and sometimes behind the scenes of social justice, social change. And there are many vehicles and instruments you've used for that. You know, you've got music. You also are someone that helps people with their brands. And something that I've noticed as an observer and a practitioner in the field is as more and more people discover who they are and how to, and discover means of expressing themselves, there's often resistance, sometimes from family, sometimes from the media, sometimes from the powers that may be. Your personal story to, the, to figuring out your identity is also key, at least from my observational lens, you know, is a key ingredient to, I believe, why you decided to champion um, other people's rights. Because every time I see you on social media and I see you get in touch with some part of your identity or some part of an adopted culture that you've that you, you, you've uh, decided to really study, there is that uh, keenness and fondness for the underserved stories and under uh, promoted ideas in your messages. So that's why, what do you have to say to that? I'm just over here like I'm, it's really, it's different for me to see how you perceive me. I don't get that a lot. Um, so as you're saying this, like, I'm, like it's, I'm like, like blushing, like I want to laugh a little bit. I'm <laughs> like, Oh, okay. None of it's, none of it's bad. It's just very, very interesting to me. Um, so, okay. So what was the question again? I'm sorry. Cause I'm over here like, Why? <laughs> no, it's okay. I was basically making an observation of your, uh, yeah, you were, you sure were. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Journey to identity. And also what's happened in the last few years as, as I, and more identities have come to the forefront, there's, there's been a lot of resistance. And I wanted you to share a commentary on your thoughts on that. Yeah, when you said that, um, it's interesting because when you talked about me helping people and even like an artist, like with their branding, you know, you deal with identity right. a lot. And I tried to do it more on like this soul level. Like, yeah, identity, like what people see and what they can recognize, like you, the ability to build this story about yourself 
because that's what it is on the outside of things, right? To build the story so that way you put it out there consistently so people will be able to remember you in a certain way. Mm -hmm. Um, But for myself, even, even with trying to develop an identity um, for myself as someone who's putting myself out there more, which was very difficult for me to do, but it was very necessary for business. And also for the same for the company I started in 2011, I like the identity of that, right? You know, you, you mentioned this idea of resistance. And I think personally, that was the word that stuck out to me when you just said this is resistance, because when it comes to Christy, like, I can't tell you right now, like how I would describe myself, like, what is my identity? Um, other than I identify proudly as a woman of color. And I, I wouldn't know. I mean, there's so many things about me. And it's interesting because it was one of those things that people had a really hard time and still have a hard time figuring out or putting the pieces together for it to make sense for them. Yeah. Because uh, whether it's based on um, my, my ethnic background, uh, whether it's based on and I'm just going to be very honest with you being told your whole life that you're, well, not your whole life. Um, my, 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 like 18 and up, um, like how pretty you are or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a whole other thing that I'm going through right now as I'm getting older, but, um, so people expect you to be a certain way. And I think I expected myself to be a certain way. You know, when I was talking to you about the idea of being this, uh, Uh, like wanting to be this change maker and thinking that law school was the only way, but that was something that was ingrained in my head, that that was the way at the same time, I knew I always wanted to be successful and I knew that I wanted it. And, and, but being so young at the time, like I didn't sit down and say, okay, well, what does success really look like for me? Uh, I was taught, I guess I was molded to think success, money was always involved. And um, I agree with that to an extent. Um, It's it's nice to have financial freedom. And um, that is definitely more of a goal that I'm a goal that I'm more mindful of, I should say. Um, But the resistance was really listening to my intuition and my and, and the resistance also had to do with a certain level of acceptance. Um, I've always been a little bit of a rebel. Um, and it's funny because my mom kind of, she did, I don't know if she sees it, but she was kind of a rebel too in her good. But now I see like there, she's got her traditional old fashioned Filipino ways. Um, but I do see how she was like the rebel, one of the rebels of her siblings and such. And I think I took that to another level. And so when I, you know, and going back into identity, um, I think, you know, just fitting that, that mold of being that girl who was, um, so I'm first generation American Mm-hmm. on my mom's side and I was the first one to go to college here like my aunts and uncles went to college in the Philippines um, my dad went to college but I was the first one to go to college and I think from there it was like the expectations get kept getting higher for me you know um, what people put on me but also what I put on myself um, and and just trying to f- follow the way you're told 
you're supposed to follow, like in the way that you're supposed to follow your path from A, B, C to D. And I tried to do it. (laughs) I try. And it's so funny because I, I do believe I was very smart. Um, I, I did well um, throughout school, but I think I got to, I got less interested in high school. I knew I wanted to go to college, but I, I could have done more. You were going through through the motions. Oh yeah. I was definitely like into the boys. I was definitely into the boys. I, 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 that was like my, my social life was very important to me, but music was also very important to me as well. And I was the girl that made everybody mixtapes, um, in high school. And then, yeah, I was crazy. Like I would always get like the latest, like whatever was coming out, like I would get CDs, the tapes and CDs on the day they came out. Like I was, I went through those phases as well, because that's also a part of your identity as far as the, the music that you listen to. Um, but again, the resistance, um, I really started to break free from what I thought I was supposed to be doing and what I thought I was supposed to be. Um, I would say my mid to late twenties, I broke free from that. This is when you, you are, you would, you, have you just graduated from law school, right? Where were you? No, no, I, um, I, let's see, I went to law school. I didn't finish. Right. So that, and that's, that's a part of the story. That's a part. That's exactly. That's why. See, it's a big you, part of the story. Walking me into the next question because I, I, yeah. I, hearing you, I think that's what you know. You had to break away from expectations, and you needed to. That was hard to do. That was hard to do because you know everybody was so proud, and I was so miserable. I cried almost every day. Wow. It just wasn't for me. You know, yeah, it was hard, but you know, there's other things that are hard too. Grad school was hard because I went to grad school. I knew I wasn't finished. I knew I wanted to do something, but I just didn't like law school. It wasn't what I, I didn't know what I thought it was going to be. I just knew that I was following the path I thought I was supposed to follow. And I got there. Um, The greatest thing that had ever happened to me out of law school were the people I met. I did, um, after my first year, I did... um, a study abroad program through Howard University's law school. And a, the majority of the students in that program were, went to Howard. They were hustle, H-U-S-L. They were, excuse my language, they were the coolest people I ever met. And then I, my girl, Tiffany, like some of these people are like the most, they're my soul family and we still keep in touch. We have gone to weddings and we've seen each other after that. And we visited each other and um, that was the best part of law school is meeting Tiffany, Corinne, my roommates, and Jolly and Shamari and just Ebony, the, like my people. These are my, my heart swells just thinking about them. So yeah. Um, so then it just kind of kept going from there. Um, but in that time, like after my first year of law school, I was really, um, I definitely started coming into my own coming out of like when I came back from South Africa, like when I was in South Africa, I felt like myself. Mm. I felt like myself, the girl with the the ring in her nose, wearing her Bob Marley with her big curly hair, listening to roots reggae. You know what I mean? Like going back home, I was living in LA, going back home and hanging out in Venice beach. My friend had a shop and we used to smoke in the back of his shop you know what I mean and and reason and play the drums you know what I mean like I'm that girl so um and that's it just kind of snowballed from there because 
the feeling I got doing all of those things and being around certain people, um, I felt free. And that's the word. Yeah. That's my word. And that's the number one feeling I always want to feel. And I have to, you ever, sometimes I forget to revisit it, but I, I know that that's the number one feeling I want to feel every single day moving forward in life. That is the ultimate feeling for me. You see, but do you see the connection? You know, when I asked you what the first question, what, what you were like, you said you always knew you'd be a change maker and now you fight for freedom, but you needed to, free, huh? you needed to free yourself first. Uh, yeah, um, definitely. I mean, I think it's a, a constant process. Why the hesitation though? What, what, what's, what's the <laughs> Because I, I don't want people to listen to this thinking that I have it all figured out because I definitely don't. I, I figure things out along the way. Hmm. Um, I still, I still try to figure out who I am and what I'm doing and what my life like okay Christy what is it that you want now you know and and I'm get I get close to it I'm very true to myself like I said I tap into my gut um but it's like wow I I followed my I followed my intuition and my heart and all that at like an age later than most people probably would not most people but again it's that whole you go from A, B, C to D. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't finish grad school till I was 30. I went when I was 28. No time. Yeah. I started grad school. And then that's what people say. But, and, and, and that was, I guess, in the way I was living. But I do feel a timeline for certain things. Like, I, I feel like I should be in a different situation. And honestly, and it sounds bad, <laughs> I feel like, the the pandemic at least helped me to say okay christy you don't have to like have this right now um it doesn't make me feel better that you know people are millions of people are in a different situation than they probably were you know before all of this started happening but it definitely it slowed me down um, to my benefit, I would say. So it's helping me. It forces me to accept the time thing, right? How everybody's on their own time. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. Hey, everyone. I've been on the go recently. Phoenix, Kansas City, Chicago. If you're like me and have a home but aren't always at home, you have an Airbnb. Hosting your home or a spare room is a very practical side hustle. If you live in a big game town, you can Airbnb your place for fans to stay in. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash post. So. I, it's interesting. I'm listening to you and we're, we're, we're having two different experiences because one of the things that I, I, I 
I often hark on is the idea that uh, it, it isn't about the destination. It's about the journey. Even people that claim to chase perf perfection, uh, I will argue it's about the pursuits and who you become in that pursuit. And the reason I'm saying that to you is someone could listen to that story and they could come up with that conclusion that you said, I don't want someone to think that, yeah, I have it all together. And another person could listen and say, ah, I need to be brave enough to be myself and do what I want and break out of that norm. And mm. that, whatever comes out of that and the, the intentionality that comes out of that doesn't mean you have all the answers, but it does mean you're getting closer to who you can be, at least in my opinion, that, that, that that's more the point I was, I was. Yeah. You went, when you talk like that. One of the things that I get a lot uh, from my friends, my friends are so like ridiculous, including you, um, amazing, accomplished, whatever, however you again, describe accomplishment and success because it's relative, right? It's based yeah. on what that person labels or thinks success is. But it's so funny because I was in that program, because I went to law school, because I was in that program at Howard, I have a lot of lawyer friends, um, but I also have a lot of artist friends. I have a lot of creative friends and, you know, professionals. And it's, it's interesting because I, I realized that I do serve that purpose in their lives. The common theme <laughs> of what they tell me that they get from me is like a reminder to be more free, uh, to not care so much yeah. about certain things. Um, and, and I don't know if I, it's one it, it's I don't know if that's too I, I tell people to it just depends right because I can either be the person let's say for instance a girlfriend right either her her boyfriend or her husband's gonna love me or he's gonna hate me right and he's gonna hate me if basically they're not happy in their relationship there he's going to hate me if he's being a chauvinist pig if he's be, you know what i mean just if it's if in a sense he is bringing her down and vice versa and vice versa but i deal with it more with like my girlfriends you know significant others and then on the other side like i i went to the philippines in 2019 to visit my family and i was thinking to myself you know I, I am being myself, yes, still very respectful and all this stuff, of course, but I was wondering if my aunts were afraid of my cousins seeing how I am. Like, I know they love me, but also, you know, I'm of this age and I'm still not married yet. You know, that's the first question you, we still get asked, are you married yet? Um, and I'm telling my young cousins, they're in their their early to mid 20s I'm like girl wait or boy wait or there's so many people like you don't have to settle for that one person like you know what I mean like enjoy your life first um but again they're following that that a a b c d you follow this path in life and you have to be somewhere by a certain age so again for me it's I I, I serve as that reminder for my friends I just don't know like I'm either the right person to talk to is what I say, or I am the wrong person to talk to. It just depends on your state of mind. Well, if you serve as that reminder for others, why don't you remind yourself as, as often as you do others? Because everything you said <laughs> is something that you should and can't. What, what do I, I, because like I said, it is relative, right? Like we, <laughs> we, we, 
we can so easily, and it's not about like just being this, this person that wants to give advice. Yeah. Um, you're, you're telling people, you're telling them things you either want to do or you have done, you know yeah. what I mean? That's true. That's true. That's, that's, that's the pattern of life. Well, yeah, okay. I have, to, I have to believe I'm courageous in some ways. Speaking of courage, <laughs> you, when you decided to leave law school and, you know, you went to grad school. You started Einity, but you also did a lot of things in the music industry. What was that path like and what is Einity? Yeah, it's, it was something that just, um, it's just interesting how it came about. Um, music has always been a big part of my life, like with my family. My mother's a singer, my dad's a drummer. Um, and then I would say really my dad, I mean, like the way he would teach me how to handle vinyls, <laughs> um, how he would teach me, he's taught me about soul music. Uh, he really loves 60s soul. Uh, but then he's the one that taught me about Prince and <laughs> the DeBarge family and like just, just a lot of music. And I had this crazy love for music and I, uh, for a while I was an only child and then um my mom and my stepdad had my little brother but I didn't like I, I wasn't the girl the kid that always uh I wasn't always at people's houses so a select few you know I literally would be at home in my room by myself I would listen to the radio I would listen to certain shows on the radio um I would like I said I started just buying music like i I would buy music at like I would say eight, nine, ten. I remember buying Sade, Love Deluxe when I was like I don't know ten Nigerian, or eleven or something like that. Percent. Yeah, yeah. I remember buying that. I had the tape. Okay, and so, um, but it wasn't really something that I was. In, I was. I was encouraged to pursue. I did play the flute, and my dad took me to this like nighttime band practice and stuff like that. Um, but it wasn't something that I thought was a path that I could take because I definitely couldn't sing. And then I stopped playing the flute and, you know, I didn't play the guitar. I didn't play the drums like my dad did or anything like that. So I just, and, and it, again, it was the whole, like, I'm going to be this professional. I'm going to be a CEO or I, I was, I also wanted to be a CEO before really knowing like what the CEO was in my mind. I wanted like that. I did as a, probably from middle school, I was like, I'm going to be in this high rise office. I'm going to be the head person in charge. I always, you know, I thought that way since I was a kid. But I went the law school path, I did grad school, and grad school, I actually, um, I got my master's degree in international studies, and I focused on human rights and economic development, and I thought that was closer to what it is that I wanted to do. Um, I was very inspired when I went to South Africa, and they said, you love Nelson Mandela, I was there for his 90th birthday you just felt it in the air you just felt it the air was just like so crisp and clean it was such a beautiful day I we were in Cape Town so I just remember that and he was a he's a hero of mine too that's why I have that poster on my wall of him but I went to grad school I um again that entrepreneurial spirit came out in me um I was always a creative kid but I always did stuff like on my own and it wasn't really 
I, I hate to say this to say like, oh, my parents didn't nurture it, but they kind of, they didn't. And when I would start something and then I got bored with something, they, they didn't force me to see it through at least for a term or whatever. And so that's a struggle that I had to work on hmm. when I was like in my twenties, even like my early thirties, I had to force myself to be like, no, Chrissy, you have to do this. Like I was very, I was hard on myself when it came to that kind of stuff, but um, here I go off on my tangents. I, um, I, during loss, I mean, during uh, grad school, I was like, oh, I uh, started a nonprofit and I talked to um, this amazing woman that I met in grad school. Her name was Leticia and I was talking to her about it. I didn't have an idea of the type of nonprofit that I wanted to, to do. I just knew I wanted to do something and I wanted to do something for women. And she was very interested in microfinance. And so we started, it was called The Last Best Women, she named it. And um, we started just kind of putting the pieces together and we were going to establish it in Belize. And um, all I can say is that it didn't work out and it had nothing to do with me and her. It had nothing to do with me and her. But then the thing is when it wasn't working out uh, business wise, there was just there was a lot of things that weren't said that needed to be said. And that's how I knew I, these are lessons in being a leader because I have failed to be a leader several times. I am a multi-hyphenate like you. I'm an entrepreneur like you. And just because you start a business, whether it's a for-profit or nonprofit, I, I don't call myself a CEO. I think a lot of people do that. And I called myself a CEO. I was an executive director and I was a CEO. And for me, I just pulled those titles because not that it wasn't, yeah, kind of. I was like, I have to earn that title just because I started something and filed the paperwork and I'm doing these things doesn't make me a CEO, you know? And um, so that happened and it was like, well, what now, right? We pulled out of Belize and it was just stagnant. And my fallback in life has always been music, period. My fallback in life has always been music. And I um, was living in Denver at the time. I went to grad school in Colorado. And one of the bands that I was really into, they're called Midnight. They're from the Virgin Islands. And they're a roots reggae band. And mind you, I really got into reggae, roots reggae sitting in the back of that shop on the, in the quad in Venice Beach with my friend Musa. He's the one that really like, I got that deep, deep, deep knowledge of reggae music beyond Bob Marley and Peter Tosh and all that. And um, Midnight, who I had seen at the Key Club in LA, they were actually coming to Denver. And so I was like, yeah, I'm going, you know, it's very cranial. It's not like, you know, that jolly, happy reggae music that people sometimes, you know, associate themselves with. It's more right. like really trancey, very deep, very cranial, like the lyrics and the philosophies in those lyrics is just, it's a little, it could be a little bit much for people. And um, Von Benjamin, um, I was a big fan of him. And the funny thing is I've worked with him many times since then. Um, 
but they did this show with the playing for change foundation. It was a benefit for playing for change. So I went, so coming out of this, with this human rights background and you know, that those interests and then it's music, I went to that event and it wasn't packed or anything, but it was the idea of, you know, melding the music with the initiative and the playing for change foundation basically funds music and education programs in different parts of the world. And I was like, I could do this. Like, how do I get into this? You know? And in that time, the reason I went also is because I was covering it. I had started this blog while I was in the midst of, well, I'm out of grad school. I started this nonprofit. It didn't work out. I didn't go off and join the state department and, or, you know, train to become a diplomat like the rest of my peers in grad school or work for an NGO or whatever. I went off on my own again. It didn't work out. Music was my fallback. I started this blog called Inity Weekly. And, um, I just started writing about the connection with music and in particular reggae music and like the socially conscious and political aspect of it. And so that's what brought me to the show, the midnight show, because I was then wanting to photograph the shows. I don't, I didn't know how to photograph. I also toyed with photography when I was a kid, but again, wasn't really a thing. I, I, I came out of this learning how to shoot at concerts, which is not an easy feat with the lighting, but that's how I got into it. That's how it started. And then again, the snowball effect, it just snowballed from there. Because when I looked around and said I could do this, that's when I started making connections with local bands, um, venue owners, just people in the scene and um, asked how I could do it, basically. And it started with promoting a show. That was the first thing I did. Wow. Mm -hmm. It's a a long, windy road to eventually getting back. Uh, to music you, you described <laughs> earlier you said yeah. you you were the one that made mixtapes when you were younger mm-hmm. here you are putting on events but you had mm-hmm. to you had to take several detours Oof. Um, I'm, I was I was gonna say I'm the queen of detours my god yeah <laughs> yeah definitely took some detours someone's listening right now and they're thinking that's quite an interesting life hmm. I wonder if you could distill that in in, in the form of steps for people to figure out what it is that they can do in order to help them discover that fuel that lights their flame. Because you mm. know, not everybody will be passionate about music, but the no. idea of chasing that dream. Just whatever they're passionate about, whatever it is that you engage yourself in, like whatever you, whatever comes easy for you, whatever gives you joy, like where you you have your hands in it or you're in the middle of it and it doesn't feel like work and it could be work but it doesn't feel like work you feel free that feeling of freedom and again just like success you define what free means to you and it could also and 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 it's also like tapping into your physical as well like how does it make you feel and why would you not want to feel that way all the time? Yeah. You know, and that's what music does for me. That's what music did for me. And, and being in like, especially the live music space and being around artists and creative. It's very, it's, it's exhilarating. It's, it, it's sexy. It has its ups, it has its downside too, you know, yeah. but um, I would say just tap into, tap into those things. It's your intuition. Stop blocking 
that feeling. Stop, you know, it is telling you something. It's, it's what you already know that you're not allowing yourself to say out loud and, and to uh, proclaim, Yeah. you know? Yeah. It's storytelling for me. And it, it was, it wasn't until I started uh, sharing my stories and doing that, whether it was writing, speaking, podcasting, that I, that yeah. I started to, to get that. But it was, um, you know, when I was younger, storytelling was, it was, they, it was told from a very limited perspective, you know, starving artist perspective, uh, to be, mm. to be honest. But then as I grew older, I was like, oh, you can, you can have your blog, you can write, you can podcast, you can go on stage, you can share a book, you can have a conversation, an elevator, you can make the story what you want, or you can create a platform for other stories where you're mm-hmm. right. But, you know, like you have to you're take- doing all of those things you're listing everything that you do which is pretty freaking awesome no thank you i'm still but you know i'm still on that journey but the reason why i was even mentioning those things was were because i i get to discover them as i as mm-hmm. as i get older and it wasn't until i started listening to myself and friends i've, I've been fortunate enough to been surrounded by people who challenge me and you know there'll be moments where someone would say hey why don't you just put that out there why don't you make a workshop out of that why don't you do that and my initial reaction used to be me what are you talking about i just i just came here who am i why would i be the one and like well Mm -hmm. explain it that way so Mm -hmm. what chris said in addition to Mm -hmm. that thing that you might be repeatedly told but some for some reason fear (laughs) I think mm-hmm. there's something in there that yeah. might be worth exploring. No, I'm telling you, I, I mean, just, I just want to drive this into people's heads. If I like, you know, that question people ask, like, wh- what would you tell your younger self? Yes. It's like really follow your intuition and your gut, because when you try to fit this other story that some people have people or society or even you you tried to build for yourself and you it's like fit, fitting a, a puzzle piece onto the wrong you know it's, it's the wrong fit um you are I don't want to say you're gonna waste time there's always a journey right there's always lessons in there but I'm I'm telling you if you just want to cut some years trying to figure that out you know just listen to your gut listen to your gut and and follow what makes you feel happy and free Speaking of freedom, what's the next mm-hmm. step for you? I know <laughs> I know we're in a pandemic and, and I know you do yeah. a lot of amazing things, but what are the things that you're excited about and what's the next step for you? The next step for me, um, it's funny that we were talking about branding a little bit. I'm shifting. Mm. That's the word that has been on the brain. And I've pondered this for quite some time. And I'll be shifting with Inity and myself, not in a sense branding myself. That's very difficult for me to see myself as a brand. But what Inity was, it started out as media. You know, it was interviews, album reviews, went into me, Christy, producing and promoting shows and working on other production teams and such. And I did that under the Inity name. So it was known for the media and the concerts, which in a, which made sense. But I had to shift um, when certain things happened with all of that. <laughs> you can get yeah. into it if you want, but it's up to you. But I, um, I stopped doing shows for a while 
And I'm like, well, how am I going to do this? How am I going to make money? And I, and, and also, yeah. And I also had a, a, a marketing position with a fortune 500 company and then I got laid off and um, it, it was like kind of a, it was that blessing in disguise again, because then I could focus on identity again. But for me, it was like, well, what can I do that was that I can make a living off of doing. And so what I did is I kept that identity name, but I shifted it more towards um, artist consulting. Cause I had by that time had tour managed and worked with so many artists and such um, and marketing as well, because it's what I, it was almost, it was my formal training working with the company. Oh, yeah. And, um, and so that's what I, I decided to do, which ended up being confusing for a lot of people, especially people in the music industry I had worked with for some time, especially for artists who used to send me their music and managers and so forth because we were media. And then all of a sudden it was this thing. It, it just, you could tell even for me, it became a little bit confusing. And so I have been uh, working under the Inity brand as artist consulting and um, marketing and so forth, but I'm shifting back to what Inity was. And I want Inity to be just about the artists. Um, I, wanna, I wanna go back to reviewing the albums. I wanna go back to sharing the music and, and highlighting these artists. I don't wanna turn anybody away just because they're not my client. And the other side of that is with the work that I have been doing in the music industry, I'm just gonna have my own website I'm going to, you know, just basically have my portfolio and continue doing that work. Hmm. So and this is yeah. good. So, so if people wanted to connect with you and, and contact you, what are yeah. the best ways for them to reach out to you, given what you just described? I would say I've been pushing, I've been doing more of my personal social media um, on Instagram, Christy Jayski, C-H-R-I-S-T-Y-J-S-K-I, because Jazorski is just really long. Um, but if you, yes, please visit Inity and watch how we evolve. It's I-N-I-T-Y.co and Inity basically means unity in Ayeric, which is a dialect that's used in like Rastafarian uh, culture and a lot in reggae music. So yeah. <laughs> we'll make sure we put all this in the show notes. But Thanks. Before we close. I always ask mm. my guests this question, and this is mm. it's my mission statement. My mission statement reframed as a question. So, Chris, how do you use your difference to make a difference? I knew you were going to ask this, and I did not prepare myself for it. <laughs> oh, gosh. I think for me, everything that I've, everything that I've done and I've become and everything that I'm passionate about um, however you perceive that to be, I consider myself a woman of the world. And like you said in the beginning, someone, I, I love, I love culture. I love world culture. Um, I love African and Latin culture. I love my Asian culture. <laughs> like, yeah. um, is just taking all of that and just in a sense, sharing it with people because I feel like at least through the music, and I'll just use the music as an example, I wanna use that in a sense as a form of diplomacy because I do feel that music has a lot of power and if you use it the right way, it can help 
not only bring people together, they say, oh, with live music, it's bringing a lot of people together, but it, I think it's also a good way to teach people about each other and other cultures and other perspectives, ideas, and ways of living and so forth. That's beautiful. So, yeah, <laughs> it's, 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 it's my truth. <laughs> it is your truth. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. This has been a real pleasure. I love the places you took us to. I appreciate it. I appreciate it very much. Thank you. Pleasure is mine. Ladies, gentlemen, and gender non-binary individuals, till next time, use your difference to make a difference. You've just been listening to the As Told by Nomads podcast. For more ways to reach out to Tayo and to use your difference to make a difference, head over to www.tayoroxon.com. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.